Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That would be me. I am uh, excited about the, the hour, and I'm also excited about what's coming up November 21st. My friend and uh, mentor, Jeff Verdorn, who happens to be in studio right now, is uh, going to be part of a, an exclusive studio event. We're going to do a live taping of the show, but we're going to be doing it in the evening and then b- broadcasting it later. Um, but it's going to be Thursday, November 21st at 7 p.m. We'll open the doors at 630 We'll have some coffee and cookies and lots of opportunities to meet and greet and shake hands and get to know each other. Then we'll take a deep dive into some of the hidden things and heavenly truths of the parables of Christ. So it's going to be a fantastic hour. There'll be times for Q&A. And so bring your Bible and something to write with and get your questions ready. And all you have to do to uh, get a spot that evening is to go to MyFaithRadio.com and you will see right on the front page of the website... uh, a place where you can click on and register yourself to come. Bring a friend or two. Uh, the tickets are free. All you got to do is uh, sign up. Yep, you go to MyFaithRadio.com. I'm just hopping in here because oh, feel free. people have wondered, where exactly is it? It's in the upper right-hand corner. It says, Why Did Jesus Speak in Parables? Live event. So, I love the live go. event, and we are going to broadcast what we do that night later, but we want, we, we want to give you an opportunity to come see the show, and if you know, you work in the afternoon, you can't come from 3 to 4 or 4 to 5. We thought, well, let's see what happens if we put it in the evening. So November 21st, doors open at 6.30 right here uh, um, at the studio where we do the show. We've got a beautiful room set aside, and we've got, uh, I think, room for uh, 75 people, and we still have a couple open seats, but they're going fast. So say, I'm going to sign up November 21st. Go to MyFaithRadio.com, get your seat, and I look forward to meeting you. And we're going to take a break, and then we'll start with Jeff. For 70 years, Faith Radio has been a trusted voice sharing the good news of the gospel, lifting up the name of Jesus, and helping listeners grow in their faith. God has been so faithful to us in this ministry, thanks to the financial investment of thousands of friends just like you. But your partnership is still needed for the work ahead. Join us today with a gift at MyFaithRadio.com or by calling 877-93-FAITH. Thanks and giving. They go together like peanut butter and jelly and pineapple with Ritz crackers and cheese. Wait, what? Yep, look up the recipe. You'll thank me. When you have a thankful heart, you realize your blessings and generosity comes naturally. When you have a giving heart, others are filled with gratitude and the wonderful cycle continues. At Faith Radio, we're thankful for you, your friendship, prayers, and financial support. So we hope to give you the best Bible teaching and conversations to help you connect faith to life. My friend Jeff Verdorn's got his own theme song, and that's it. It's the voice of truth. Do not be afraid. 
Jeff is a longtime friend and Bible mentor of mine and just uh, one of my all-time favorite guests, and I'm so excited to have him uh, be part of a live studio exclusive event on the 21st of November. Go on the website, get your tickets today. You're going to have a blast. It's good to get out and do things, and I'm just praying that uh, we have nice weather that night and everything else, and you will so enjoy it. Uh, Jeff, welcome back to the show. Hi, Bill. I'm looking forward to oh, it. Oh, as am I, and uh, I know there's a lot of people that can't wait to meet you, and I think it's going to be a great night. You know, you started all this. I know, know I did. My fault. You said, hey, let's do something on parables. And it's like, wow, I've never really dug into the parables before. And you sent me on like a three-month study. I did. Nothing but <laughs> studying the parables. And now you're teaching it at church, aren't you? Yes. We're doing it on uh, Wednesday evenings and so have had a lot of fun with that. And also in my Sunday morning class, I have a Sunday morning class and we've been covering the parables there too. Yeah, fantastic. Now, in the previous hour on Guy Talk, we were referencing a passage out of uh, Revelations chapter 3. I know we're going to talk about some, about some end times tonight, but I'd love to touch on this passage of uh, being lukewarm and how there's people think that they are going to get spit out of the mouth of Jesus if they're lukewarm. Oh, I'm, I absolutely agree with you. This is one of these passages that is near to, and dear to my heart. It, it actually goes all the way back to junior high school for me. And I'm in sitting in a Sunday school class, and our Sunday school teacher writes up on the board, up on the whiteboard, okay, everybody, I would like you to rate your faith. And he put up three words, hot, lukewarm, and cold. And he went around the room and said, Bill, rate your faith. Jeff, rate your faith, and so on. Well, there was probably, I don't know, 20 kids in that room. Nobody said that they're really hot for God, mm-hmm. right? Because when you're in junior high, that's just maybe not so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, nobody said they were cold for God, you know, cold faith, because that really means you're, what, unsaved or something, right? You're not really a Christian. So we had 20 kids say that they were lukewarm for God, had lukewarm faith. And then he read this passage from Revelation chapter 3 that says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And 20 young kids went, uh, uh, you know, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Well, it took me years. And actually, when I got into my own personal study and started studying the book of Revelation, uh, this passage started to become clear. And I realized that that's taught this way all the time, that hot, cold, and lukewarm are a measure of someone's faith. Well, let's go back to the passage. And he says this. Verse 15 in in Revelation chapter 3, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. This is not about rating your faith. I know that we use temperature often as a scale, like I'm really hot for the Vikings this year. I'm kind of cold on the Vikings. But Jesus himself, these are Jesus's words, the letter to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds. Now, to fully understand this, a little context is hugely important because those in Laodicea would have completely understood what Jesus was talking about, about hot water and cold water, because Laodicea had aqueducts flowing into it, one from Colossae that had cold spring water, one for, from Herodian that had hot mineral water. And when those, the hot mineral water was useful, right, for bathing and so mm-hmm. on, and spring water was useful for drinking. But if the two mixed together, they weren't useful they would become a lukewarm, brackish water that you would spit out of your mouth. And everybody at Laodicea would have understood that. So God's saying he wants you to be useful. Why would God say, I want you to have cold faith? Yeah, why, why would 
God say, I want you to be hostile to the gospel? That, that's right. Wouldn't this, happen. This is the God that in Second Peter says he wishes none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's God's heart. Mm-hmm. Why would God? And I've read commentaries where, where people have said, wow, God wants you either to be all in for him or he wants you to you know, reject him completely. Yeah. Nonsense. God yeah. does not want you to reject no. him. He wants you to love him right, and <laughs> receive him as Lord and Savior. So this is not about faith at all. It's about deeds. So what Jesus is saying in this letter is, I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were useful to me. If you were connected to the vine, remember the vine and the branches? I love that. I want to go back over that again. This is another one of these passages that people use, like, you know, oh, you better do this or Jesus is going to spit you out of his mouth, or you better do this and Jesus, or Jesus is going to cut you off. A true born-again believer has complete assurance of salvation. If you are born again, I, I can declare to you today from Scripture, he will never spit you out of your mouth, and he will never cut you off from the vine right? He wants you to be, the the hot and cold is like the fruit of John 15. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit being connected to him. So uh, I think this is one of these passages in Revelation as we, I was listening to the, to the conversation in the hour before I came on here and it's like, oh, we got to touch on this because there's no such thing as a, biblically, according to these words, there's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. The lukewarm here are those who are unbelievers. It is unbelievers that Jesus will spit out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And the people in Laodicea had uh, money and affluence, and they felt pretty good about themselves. They did. They thought they were rich, right? Yeah. I'm, I don't need a thing. And Jesus corrects them and says, one of, the, one of the strongest kind of condemnations in Scripture, you don't realize you're wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. Wow, that's quite a, a statement. Uh, because they're not saved. They didn't know him. They're lukewarm. And because you're not saved, Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And that's why he says, I counsel you to buy from me. Now, you can't buy salvation. He's using a metaphor here. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically saying, be saved. Right. Believe in me. And uh, and then he says, that's that famous line then. And I think it is a salvation line. I stand at the door and knock whosoever opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they mm-hmm. with me. And I think that's a beautiful picture of salvation. Just like the woman at the well is a beautiful metaphor for salvation. Jesus says, if you would have known who you were talking to, you'd ask me for living water. Well, he didn't have a, a another, you know, vial of living water. It's a, it's a metaphor. And if you drink of this water, it would well up to eternal life. Another picture of of salvation. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's include before we go to break, Jeff, the idea of the uh, John 15 of, of the the branches and the vine. People fear that they're going to be cut off and thrown away. Yeah. So and, this is one of these things where I think a little Greek understanding goes a long way to understand this difficult passage because it is a difficult passage because you're sitting there reading it and saying, well, is Jesus really going to cut off someone who is connected to Him, the true vine, uh, if they don't bear any fruit and uh, the Greek word there, a little Greek understanding goes a long way here, is the word aro for cut off, I, A-I-R-O, aro. And it, it really means to lift up. So when I have in my Bible literally cu- crossed off the word cuts off and inserted the words lifts up, 
He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, and he prunes it. So what does a vine dresser do? This is the parable, the, the story of the vine dresser and the vine and the branches. If you find a vine in a vineyard that's down, you're going to lift it up, tie it off, and prune it so that it might become fruitful. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what John 15 is saying. Mm. So once again, one of, the, one of my big teachings and a, a very strong doctrinal truth that I teach often is this concept of assurance of salvation, that once you are born again, um, you, you have your inheritance is guaranteed. I love the way Ephesians 1 says it. He sa- it says, uh, having believed, you were marked in him with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance. As soon as you're born again, Scripture declares that you have received the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that how long will you have that Holy Spirit? Forever. Mm-hmm. And he is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, as we start getting into the end times a little bit here, that is a study of our hope, our inheritance. I've read the back of the book. It's really cool. <laughs> we have this inheritance, right? We, yeah. we win in the end. Yeah. And we have this inheritance, streets of gold, pearly gates, the whole bit. Revelation 21 says, he who overcomes will inherit all this. That is our inheritance. So when you're born again, you are secure in your salvation. You have assurance of salvation. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, that we may know that we have eternal life, right? And so we can know that we know that we know. And so God will never cut off a true believer in Christ. Uh, Jesus will never spit a true believer out of his mouth. Uh, Those are just, uh, I think, um, wrong interpretations of those passages. All right. We're getting started, Jeff. But (laughs) when we come back, we'll start talking about end times. Jeff Verdorn is my in-studio guest. Make time for November 21st. It's uh, on a Thursday night, 7 p.m. right here. We're going to do a live taping of the show with Jeff as my guest. You're going to love it. We'll be right back. I have Jeff Verdorn in studio, and if you have received one of his charts, then you're one of the several thousand people that have asked me for one, and I have uh, lost sleep at night sending out charts, but it's been wonderful. So you know his teaching, and you know his style, and you know that it is going to be time well spent if you come join us on November 21st. We've got some seats still left, but I promise you they're going fast. So go to MyFaithRadio.com. Once you get to that uh front page, you will see um, uh, a place where you can click on, and it'll take you right to where you can reserve a couple of seats. The tickets are free. We would just love for you to come. Make sure you bring your Bible and some notepads and a pen. I bet we have some pens there that night. We'll also have some cookies uh, that have sugar in them. And, White chocolate macadamia nut? Um, that's, those are the VIP kind of oh. cookies, yeah. You'll probably get one of those. <laughs> and lots of coffee. Anyway, all right, uh, Jeff, let's get started with um, end times. Uh, I've already had a listener chime in. Which one of the churches would you say tip, typifies today's church? <laughs> Great question. This is, uh, he probably understands or knows that some people believe that the seven churches in Revelation in chapter 2 and chapter 3 kind of represent the church age in a, in a way, mm-hmm. and that each of the church is a 
a period of time since the time of Christ until today. And many will say that we're in the age of the church of Laodicea and the last church, that's the seventh letter, and therefore the time is near. Um, That's an interesting theory. So that would put us in the age of the Laodicean church. Um, You know, there's a lot of parallels between some of the words in the Laodicean church and kind of the church today. But here's what I think. I, I don't have a problem with that interpretation. I think that it makes a lot of sense. But remember that the seven churches were seven literal churches in Paul's day that that God had a kind of a, a, a condemnation, a commendation, and an admonition, and then a promise to him who overcomes. And each one of those letters were seven real churches. Also, I think those things that Jesus was praising them for, or condemning them for, have existed throughout all of the church age, throughout all 2,000 years. And then I think even within our own lives personally, each one of those messages to each one of the seven churches uh, applies to us. And, and how do we see ourselves in those? For example, one of the most convicting passages is the first church it, to Ephesus. He says, well, here's what you've done well. Here's what you've done uh, poorly. He says, you've left your first love. Do what you did at the start when you first believed. And there's oftentimes where I think, do I still have the same fervor and passion for Christ that I did, you know, when I first believed and really started studying the Word and got excited for Him? Mm -hmm. And uh, so how does each of those messages apply to us uh, as well? And that's the kind of enthusiasm of teaching you will hear on November 21st. (laughs) Not that I'm going to tie this in again, but Jeff, I'm going to say one more time. Get your tickets. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Do not miss this night. You will have a blast. All right. Now back to you. Good. So (laughs) when we talk about the end times, um, I often start the classes. I I love to teach on the end times because it's uh, not only do I, I, I had my background is as a consultant and everything that I did, I would document stuff and flow chart stuff. So I love to map out and plan all the little pieces of Scripture and, uh, and create a plan for the end of the age. But you know what it does even more? It, it allows you to see the planner that much better. And I think when we study the end times, God becomes so much bigger. Remember what he said in the disciples' prayer, or the Lord's Prayer. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us that his will will be done on earth. And when we study the end times, uh, it's a study of his plan for making that happen, right? So I remember when I first started studying, I'd come home, and it's like I tell my wife Julie, Julie, this should, th- this is so cool. God's telling us what's going to happen. You know, this should be on twenty twenty and sixty minutes and so on. And you know what? I've been teaching it ever since. I'm kind of known as the end times guy over at Grace Church, and every couple of years I teach a class on the end times, uh, and it's one of my favorite topics. To teach on. But I always ask this question. I always ask what people's expectations are. And almost every time I teach this, somebody asks a question like, well, what would you say if, you know, to someone who's afraid of the end times, who's scared for this time coming upon the world? And I said, well, then as a Christian, you don't understand the end times. Because the end times is literally a study of our hope, right? Ephesians 1 say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I think people have this understanding of the end times and they're afraid of the Antichrist or they're afraid of, you know, this wrath. Um, I've got news. I'm a strong pre-tribulational rapture guy, so I don't think the church is going to go through this. But even people's view of eternity, 
I think there's a lot of people who think, oh, I'm going to be sitting there on a cloud playing the harp floating along for all of eternity. Do you get excited for that? No. No, no. I don't either. I don't even like harp music. <laughs> but they're saying, if you understand that we're going to have a literal, tangible, glorified body existence on a literal earth with a literal city with streets of gold and Christ is going to be there, this is the 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 true picture of our eternal uh, existence. It's not some netherland floating around thing. It's a literal, tangible kingdom. And I might add that, you know, we don't have a lot of information about our glorified body and what that looks like for all of eternity. You know, we have First Corinthians 15, which describes our glorified body in some ways. And then we have the resurrection appearances of Christ. He's got about six or seven, eight resurrection appearances. So we can glean from that what our eternal existence will be like. Well, he walked, he touched, people hugged him, he ate, right? Great news. Mm-hmm. You get to That's eat really for all news. eternity. Yeah. And, uh, and yet he, he, uh, and he talked, he walked with two men on the road to Emmaus and yet disappeared, appeared in a locked room and, you know, went up to heaven and was hit by a cloud. So um, our eternity... Uh, I love the line in Corinthians. It says, the eye has not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonders God has prepared for us. Whatever you think about eternity and this eternal existence, God says it's even more. And when, when we look at Scripture, we really only have one chapter for our eternal existence. You know, this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, that's our eternal existence. When God will dwell with man, heaven and earth exist together Today, heaven and earth are apart, right? Mm-hmm. And in the end, but towards the back of the book of Revelation, it says heaven and earth will flee from his presence, and he makes a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. That's when God makes all things new. And I love, I think it's 21.4 in Revelation, it says, and then God will dwell with man. Heaven and earth are coming together for all of eternity, and that is our eternal existence, and it's more than we can even imagine. Yeah, it's powerful, Jeff. And, and you know, let's cut... Some people some slack who are afraid, you know, I just will we'll, we'll calm their fears in this hour. And we'll I think try. you've done a great job of it. But, I mean, you certainly hear the end times and the, the trumpet sounds and the Lord is uh, appearing in the air. And then there's the chaos and the Antichrist and everything else. If you don't understand it, it can sound a little intimidating, can it? It can. It's confusing. It's scary stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens. You know, millions of people are going to die during this end times. There's battles and wars and earthquakes and famines and the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. And, you know, there's these locusts that come up out of the abyss and torment people. There's all kinds of, you know, mean, nasty stuff in there. Yeah, I've got some abyss in my backyard. That makes me nervous now. (laughs) So it's, uh, but it is a study of our hope. I mean, uh, uh, Hebrews 11, 1 starts this this wonderful faith chapter, starts with this. He says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of things not seen. And I, it's, when we talk about biblical hope, hope in the Greek is this word elpidso, and it means to wait for with assurance, right? The world's hope, I hope the Vikings win. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope it whatever, right? It's this expectation of a future event that you want to happen, but you're unsure that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Biblical hope we can know is going to happen. we got a lot more coming up with Jeff Verdorn. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll take a short break and be right back.
we are back. Jeff Redorn's in the studio, as he will be here on November 21st for a live studio event. You don't want to miss this, I promise. We're going to have some much fun. We're going to talk about the uh, truths of Christ, uh, Christ's parables. So bring your Bible, sign up, go to MyFaithRadio.com, and just uh, get a couple of free tickets or bring your whole family of 12. Either way, <laughs> we're going to be happy to see you and meet you. All right, Jeff, uh, let's talk about, uh, as we continue talking about end times, the word overcomer. Everyone wants hmm. to know exactly what that means, and am I one? Yeah, so in Revelation 2 and 3, uh, in these seven letters that we were talking about earlier, Jesus ends each of his letters with this line, to him who overcomes, right? And so what is what are these promises, to him who overcomes? To the church in Ephesus, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, if you read the back of the book, we see in this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, we once again see the tree of life. Well, where's the last time we saw that? Way back in Genesis, right? And now in the new heaven and new earth, new Jerusalem, we see it once again. And God says, if you're an overcomer, he'll give you the right to eat from that tree of life. Oh, cool. To the church of Smyrna, he says this, to him who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Ooh, you read the back of Revelation chapter 21, all of lost mankind is brought before the great white throne judgment, thrown into the lake of fire, and and God says the lake of fire is the second death. If you're an overcomer, God promises you won't be hurt by that second death. And God keeps all of his promises. He does. That's a mm-hmm. big one. Isn't I it? love right? that one, yeah. To Pergamum, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give seven the hidden manna and also a white stone with a new name on it. Um, it's it's It's... Fascinating, this manna, this true bread from heaven, uh, he says you'll be able to partake of that, and he, you get this white stone. In Pergamum, they would put white stone. If you were healed, you'd get a white stone, kind of like a tombstone mm-hmm. that's for death today was actually for healing back then, and, and you get a name on it. To Thyatira, he says this, to him who overcomes, I will give the authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. That phrase is usually attributed to Christ, right? He will rule with an iron scepter. Here, it's attributed to him who overcomes. We will rule with Christ. Wow. Big one. I should say, to him who overcomes, will rule. Because mm-hmm. we haven't defined who is an overcomer yet, right? Not so, yet. Okay, let's wait. To Sardis, he says, to him who overcomes, I will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Well, this goes right back to the judgment in Revelation 21. Those who are thrown into the lake of fire and experience of the second death, it says, are not found in the book of life. That's the Lamb's book of life. And if you are an overcomer, it says that your name will be in that book of life and it will never be blotted out. Big promise. I love that promise too. To Philadelphia. He says, to him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in, in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven. And I will also write on him my new name. Did you ever see the movie, The Toy Story? Yes. When Andy got his new toy, this new Buzz Lightyear, what's the one of the first things he did with that toy? Wrote his Remember? name on the bottom he, of the show. Or that's foot. right. Yeah. He wrote his name on the bottom of his shoe saying, this is my toy. Mm-hmm. God says to him who overcomes, I'm going to write my name on you. Wow. You're Another God's possession. Great promise. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Okay, to Laodicea, he says to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father 
on his throne. Wow. Okay, so could anybody walk into the Oval Office and just sit behind that resolute desk? No. No, you don't have a right to do that. But Jesus says, I have been given the right to sit on the Father's throne, and if you overcome, I will give you the right to sit on that throne with me. (gasps) Unreal. That's so amazing. So these are pretty big promises to him who overcomes. Now, how do we define who is an overcomer? Well, interestingly... Who wrote the book of Revelation? John. John. Who wrote the book of 1 John? John. John. <laughs> who wrote the gospel? That wasn't a trick question. Okay, I knew it wasn't. <laughs> who wrote the gospel of John? Um, John. John. Yeah. This word overcomer appears only in, the, in John, 1 John, and the book of Revelation. John liked this word and he used it in all three. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5 and see if we can see how this word overcomer is defined. So I'm going to go to verse 3 in 1 John 5. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So who's an overcomer? A believer in Jesus Christ. A born-again Christian, a believer in Christ, is an overcomer. Why does God say that we've overcome the world? What does that mean? Well, if you go to John 16, 33, in the Gospel of John, written also by John, he says this, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world, sin and death. You are in Christ Jesus when you believe in him. So you are now an overcomer. And as an overcomer, all of the promises in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to him who overcomes are yours. And then you go to the back of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, 7. God just finishes describing this eternal home, this new heaven, this new earth, the new Jerusalem, the streets of gold, the pearly gates, and all of that. And he says in verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all this. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you are an overcomer, this is your future. This is your hope. This is your inheritance. And because it's promised by God, who always, whose promises always come true, we know we can have that hope of eternity uh, as an overcomer in Christ. I love it. That's a powerful um, reminder <laughs> once is. again. Um. Let's talk a little bit about prophecy in general. I mean, God's batting a thousand, isn't he? He really is. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of stats out there about biblical prophecy, uh, 8,000 some odd verses. Some people say that a third of the Bible in one way or another is prophetic. And when we look back at the Old Testament, um, there are hundreds of prophecies about people and about events and kings and kingdoms and uh, times, and, and many of them are very specific prophecies, um, and all have come true exactly as God said they were going to come true. Um, one of the things I love to do, I do a, I teach a class called Christ in Prophecy, where we look at all of the Old Testament prophecies for the coming of Christ, his birth, his life, his ministry, his teachings, his death and burial and resurrection. There's about 90 unique prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to this future Messiah, this future Christ, who would come to the world. Well, 
Jesus fulfilled each one of those prophecies exactly. Uh, For example, we know many of them. The Old Testament says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and Mm -hmm. sure enough, Christ was born in Bethlehem. It says that he'd be called a Nazarene. He'd have a ministry in Galilee. He'd speak in parables. Um, He'd be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. He'd be pierced for our transgressions, right? Um, All of these are are specific, unique, individual prophecies, direct prophecies for the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of, of Christ. Those all came true. Those all were written between 500 and really 1,500 years before Christ came to earth. And yet God is still batting a 1,000 when it comes to telling the future, right? So if God is trustworthy in telling the future provably uh, on stuff that's already been fulfilled, well, then how should we view prophecy for future events that haven't happened yet? Well, I think with a high degree of certainty that what God says is going to happen will happen. In fact, the highest degree of certainty. Highest degree of certainty. Uh, I love uh, one commentator called Fulfilled Prophecy, God's fingerprints on his word. There's no other book in the world that has this kind of provable, fulfilled prophecy where God says, this is what's going to happen. We know this is exactly what happened. Uh, Give you one. Jesus, when in his life, in 32 AD, when he's walking with the disciples, says, see this temple? Not one stone will be left upon another. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, and these stones were huge, right, that made up this temple. And to this day, there are still piles of these temple stones thrown off the Temple Mount area down below, kind of down by the Wailing Wall, the Western Wailing Wall, where the Romans in 70 AD came, attacked Jerusalem, and literally tore every stone off the other and threw it off the Temple Mount, destroying the temple just as Jesus said. Hmm. Now, if you're an eternal God and you're outside of your creation, so if creation is space, time, and matter, really, so you're outside of time, you know, I, I, this is way above my pay grade now, right? As how do you even comprehend being outside of time? But God's kind of looking down at time from above. So he sees the end from the beginning. So this is what he does. This is easy for him, right, to tell the future. Well, there are hundreds of prophecies concerning this coming time of the end, uh, which includes, you know, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom and this new heaven and new earth scattered throughout all of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. So, Jeff, let's talk about the st- statistical odds that all mm. of these prophecies would be fulfilled. Is there a mathematician out there whose head wouldn't explode <laughs> trying to come up with the, the probability? Yeah, there's, uh, there's and I'm, I'm not going to remember his name. Maybe during the break we'll, we'll Google his name. But he took just, there was a guy that took, I think it was six or seven of the prophecies for Christ, mm-hmm. right? Just six or seven just for the life of Christ, and said, what's the probability that one man would come and fulfill just those six or seven prophecies, let alone 90 of them, right? And he calculated as, you know, one times 10 to the 30th power or something, and mm-hmm. astronomical odds that one man would have those things true about his life. Born in Bethlehem, come at a specific time, and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 and even more than that, God gives specific prophecies, names specific people, and specific events often in his prophetic, um, in his prophecies. So, yeah, we can know for sure that God knows tomorrow 
as well as he knows yesterday. Yeah. Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about prophecy. Also want to remind you that Jeff, my friend and Bible teacher, is going to be joining me in studio for an exclusive studio audience event that would include you. It's going to be November 21st. That's a Thursday night. We're going to start at 7 p.m. We're going to record the show. We'll broadcast the show later, probably the following week, but we want to record it uh, for broadcast. So you'll be part of a live studio audience. We're going to talk about the hidden things and the heavenly truths of Christ's parables. So bring your Bible, bring your friends, bring your neighborhood. Go to MyFaithRadio.com to get a seat. Seats are free. Just want to make sure we see you there. Take a short break, and we'll be back with Jeff in just a minute. I'm so glad to have Jeff Redorn in studio. We're talking about prophecy end times. Jeff, why are, why are churches not teaching end times very much? Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've So my first, I took a two-year revelation class on a one-year Daniel class, and I really got into prophecy, and I love this stuff. And boy, that's got to be, I don't know, 25 years ago now. And, you know, when I first started, there was a lot of, interest and excitement and, uh, you know, questions and people teaching it. And I think one of the big reasons was this Tim LaHaye novel. If you remember, the, did you oh, read yeah. the Left Behind series or mm-hmm. any of it? I left. I read one of them. Yeah, I, I think I read like two or three of the, I think there ended up being seven of them. And they sold millions of copies. And I actually got a chance to meet Tim LaHaye one time and just ask him about the experience and the, the whole thing. And you know how many thousands and thousands of people came to Christ? by reading those fictitious novels that were based... By the way, Tim LaHaye's view of the end times is very similar to my uh, view of the end times, so the events that happened. Now, a lot of, you know, most of the events in Left Behind were were a, you know, what novel is a fictitious story of, you know, Buck, what was his name, Buck Williams, I think, mm-hmm. the, this the guy and Chloe and all those folks. Uh, but the actual events are, are pretty, you know, biblical, the timeline that he has. But I think that was what spurred on a lot of the interest in the end times. And now fast forward 25 years, and it seems like, like your question said, like the church has forgotten about the end times and this rapture, which is described as our hope uh, of being caught up. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be where I am also. That's the rapture. This is our hope. Um, before I started teaching the class last time, a couple of years ago, uh, I got in the mail a, a magazine called Israel, My Glory. Wonderful magazine, by the way. It's got a lot of really solid teaching. And the cover was Whatever Happened to the Rapture? And it says, Whatever Happened to the Once Popular Theology? Why do so many evangelical Christians reject this idea uh, and don't teach it and don't study it? And churches aren't teaching it. Uh, people aren't studying it as much anymore. Uh, and it's like, are we losing this hope? It's fascinating because in 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the big passages on the rapture, Paul ends with this line, therefore encourage one another with these words. Studying God's plan for the end of the time is a source of encouragement to us when we truly understand what's going to happen to the church. The fear goes away, right? And it's a source of encouragement. But I think there's a couple other reasons. One uh, 
pastor, kind of a national pastor, said this, when the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, Jesus quickly switched the conversation to evangelism. He wanted them to concentrate on their mission in this world, and he said, in essence, quote, the details of my return are none of your business. What is your business is the mission I have given for you. Focus on that. Anyone who lets himself be distracted by studying biblical prophecy from the work I planned for him is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Well... (laughs) Not fit for the kingdom of heaven because you study God's prophecy. A third of the Bible is prophetic. Does that mean you're going to throw out a third of the Bible? I, you know, I think you're fit for the kingdom of heaven by faith in Christ, right. period. And I think when we study the back of the book, when we study God's plan for the end of the age, I often compare it to, often compare it to a, a mystery novel. Right When you're reading a mystery novel, it's really confusing. There's all these little clues, and you don't know how they all fit together. But as soon as you get to the back of the book and you read that, you know, uh, um, Mr. Green did it with a candlestick in the library, right? right? And then you go back and read the rest of the book, it makes a lot more sense. (laughs) When we understand God's plan for the end of the age, we now go back in both the Old and the New Testament, and suddenly all these passages make a lot more sense because we know how they fit into God's plan. I had a worship director take my class one time, and at the end he came up and he said, I learned so much, thank you so much. He said, I'm used to singing all these phrases in these songs, and now I know what they all mean. Hmm. Isn't that cool? It's fantastic. So when we know God's plan for the end of the age, there's so many places in the Bible, both Old Testament, minor prophets, major prophets, the Psalms. Psalm chapter 2 is all about the end times, for goodness sakes. It's all over, plus the New Testament. Almost every single book of the Bible has some little piece of this end times puzzle, um, which, by the way, is probably the second reason, uh, or what are we on, second reason or third reason or whatever we're on, of why it, this is not taught. Uh, it's complicated. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of people would agree with that. The pieces of this prophetic puzzle are all over Scripture. So you literally need to study all over, take the pieces, and start piecing them together. And the hard part is, is there's no cover of the box, you know, to look at, right? You got to piece them all together and put God's plan for the end of the age together. Fortunately, there's a lot of people who have done this already. So kind of a dispensational view. There's one of my favorite guys. I found this book uh, it was written a hundred years ago by the guy named Clarence Larkin, and it's called the it's called Dispensational Truth, I believe, is the title of the book. And he hand drew all these charts, and I remember finding this book and looking at all of his charts, and it's like these line up with my chart. Now I did all my charts with computers and PowerPoint and all right, that. Kind of stuff. Right. He hand drew all of his stuff, but you know what? They were the same charts, basically. You know, little differences here and yeah. there. Yeah, it's like that is so cool. I'm losing interest in your charts. I want his charts yeah, now. Yeah, they're, they're cool. I got that. I have some, I have some blow-ups of them. They're really cool. Yeah. And then finally, I think um, pastors, uh, teachers, churches don't want to be controversial. If you go to the Internet and search on the end times, actually don't go to the Internet and search on the end times because you'll find thousands of different views. Everybody's got an opinion. And I think that's where we need to focus on being a good Berean Right? Remember Acts 17 and the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Um, in the end, God is the best teacher. His Holy Spirit, the best guide, and his word is sufficient. So if you are willing to commit the time 
to truly study God's plan for the end of the age. I am a firm believer that God, through his spirit and his word, will teach you. Start putting the pieces together. And, um, you know, I think that's true for all theology, by the way, um, that, uh, you know, don't rely on other people. We, I think most of what Christians know, we know because we've been taught it. Well, you hope that they're a biblical teacher then, but if you put your nose in the Word and start studying it for yourself and putting the pieces together, well, then I think you've got God right alongside of you teaching you from His Word. Jeff, I know you got more on this, but let me just jump in with a listener who said, many, many of our post-trib and amillennial brethren devoted considerable energy to knocking the Lahey scheme on the head. We got discouraged. Yeah, there's... You know, there's a lot of different views. Uh, He mentioned a couple of them right there. One is kind of the timing of the rapture. When does the rapture happen? Mm -hmm. So even though some, there's a lot of people that would agree that there's a future end times. Now, remember, that's not even agreed to. There's many, many people in the church that look at the book of Revelation and say, no, it's not a future book, a prophetic book of things yet to come. It's describing events that already happened Mm -hmm. in and around 66 to 70 AD in the destruction of Jerusalem. So much of the church can't even decide whether or not these are future events. A future, I teach that these are all future events. There's a future seven-year tribulation that's coming upon the world. Um, others, such as you know uh, the Hank Hanegraaffs, the John Pipers, are what are called preterist. They believe that the events of Revelation uh, were symbolically fulfilled in and around 66 to 70 A.D. The next big question is whether or not there's a future kingdom that is to come, remember the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, mm-hmm. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Yeah. Or are we in the kingdom right now? This one, is, to me, is, is kind of simple. Of this future kingdom, God says things like, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the lion will eat straw like an oxen, men will beat their weapons into plowshares, and there'll be peace on earth. Does that look like the world today? Not really. No, I mean, open up your newspaper. (laughs) That is not today. Also, God said this kingdom on earth by Christ will last a thousand years. Well, it's been 2,000 years since Christ went up to heaven. So I think the kingdom is yet future. And then finally, the other big kind of controversy is, so even if you believe these events are future and there's a future seven-year period, where does the rapture happen in that timeline. Does it happen before the seven-year tribulation? Does it happen in the middle of the tribulation? Or does it happen at the end of the tribulation? Well, in my class, we spend three weeks on the rapture, and the last week is dedicated to the dozen or so biblical reasons why the rapture has to happen prior to the seven-year tribulation. But you're right. Many of the post-trib folks uh, seem to have a... uh, a special desire to knock down the pre-trib rapture. I just like to teach what I see in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I just say, this is what I believe, and this is what Scripture says, and you know, let me guide you through all the passages that you need to reconcile to come up with a view. I don't spend a lot of time knocking other people's down, but some of them like to knock down. Pre-trib is probably the most attacked uh, doctrine of all the different views uh, of the end times. So. Mm-hmm. But remember, really quick, we're saved by faith not by our views on the end times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, All right, Jeff, let's, uh, let's just do a little two-minute uh, trailer for November 21st, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> 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 uh, we want you to uh, just let listeners know that you're going to be talking about the parables and how awesome they are and, and just remind everyone that, you know, 
parables are a wonderful thing to study, and maybe there are some hidden gems in there that you're going to learn. And Yeah, it was funny because when you mentioned this, and hey, let's do something on parables, it's like, you know, I've never spent a ton of time studying in detail the parables of Jesus. And at the same time, there's always been a number of parables that always kind of bothered me, the traditional interpretation of, of you know, kind of what's taught. Well, when I started really digging into it, I found out that, hey, yeah, I really do have a problem with this kind of way that this particular parable is taught often. And I came up with a little different kind of understanding. Um, I'll give you one example. We often, can I, do I have to, how much time am I have? Yeah, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. There's a line in one of the, in, in Matthew where it says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And people often say that, oh, I can't wait to hear that line. Mm-hmm. Are we going to hear that line? Or is that told to a different group of people that maybe went through the tribulation and came out the end, believed and came out the end of the tribulation and were sheep as part of the sheep and goat judgment? So we, as believers who are going to be raptured, may or may not hear those exact words, even though it's taught that way often. It's going to be a fantastic night. Jeff Dorn is going to be joining us for a live studio event November 21st. It's a Thursday. You can... Come here at 6.30. The doors open. We'll start at 7. We will record that show to be broadcast later, but you can be part of a live studio event. We would love to see you. Go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can get your free tickets. Oh, I forgot. fast. I got to say happy birthday to my daughter. It's her birthday today. What's her name? Sarah. So happy happy birthday, birthday. Sarah. All right. That wraps up our show. Thanks for listening. Go to MyFaithRadio.com to uh, listen to the podcast from today. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.